this is Jay Nichols. I'm the uh, public relations coordinator for the city of Olive Branch. But more importantly, I lead a food distribution effort for the DeSoto County Dream Center at the Olive Branch High School. And you're listening to my favorite podcast, OB Pod. Evening, Cash. Evening, Zach. How was your week, brother? It was pretty good. Nice little ho drum week and a lot of radio. I want to thank everybody who entered into our contest for the Disney on Ice tickets. We gave away five family four packs. Hopefully we can continue to do things like that. Then I had a remote down in Hernando on Saturday, and it's fantastic going to that farmer's market, and I'm glad ours is coming up this upcoming month in June. That's right. The first weekend in June, our farmer market kicks right off, so it'll be uh, it'll be exciting to see. Uh, I hate I don't want to use the word. I look forward to seeing how it compares, but you know everybody's got to start somewhere, and hopefully ours builds up to what the uh, popularity of Hernando's is. I couldn't agree with you more, and Old Town has that feel that a lot of Hernando Square does, so I think we can do it. But how was your week? Man, busy. Super, <laughs> super busy. Um, I got to tell you, like we had graduation last night. You know, a lot of people don't know, or if you do know, is that I'm an assistant principal at Center Hill High School as well. That is my day job, but it's actually my passion. I absolutely love working with kids. I've coached football. I've been a teacher. I've been an administrator, and I just love working with them. And last night is just a culmination of what has been one of the toughest years in education. I think the kids persevered, and this group of seniors is is one that has set the tone. Um, This is the group of seniors that's been a part of a blue ribbon award at the middle school and as well got us a blue ribbon award which is a national award that is not given out we're like the first high school in like almost 10 years has gotten one in the state of mississippi uh it's pretty stellar and so this is that senior bunch and what so, in the world is a blue ribbon award uh, that is where you're nationally recognized from the presidency as one of the uh, best schools when it comes to educational performance and building and yeah we have a letter from uh, betsy devos i think is how you pronounce her yep. last name under the trump administration that uh, awarded us and uh, uh, it was a big deal. And, you know, we had a big celebration at the school. A lot of people came out. The state secretary of education was there. So and that was a month or so ago. But, you know, so this was that senior group. So mm-hmm. this is a special bunch. I'm not going to wrong. They're all special, but they're special for different reasons for every year. Our Val and Sal did a fantastic job with their speeches. Um, you know, our salutatorian uh, was Alexandria Snyder. And then our Valedictorian got up there, which is Alexandria Edwards. Well, everybody calls her Alex. They had great speeches. They both hit great points of emphasis. You know, they all have their, you know, Everybody had their conversation when it comes about COVID and change and stuff, but they also brought some special touch. Uh, Miss Edwards, which was our Val Victorian, which is absolutely phenomenal. She had like a 101.4, just through the roof. Get this. She's also got a full ride to Duke. You know, that is something that is extremely rare for any school, any student in the country. When you're the best of the best of a blue ribbon school, that's what kind of things open up for you. Absolutely. You know, and so, you know, I mentioned this because it was such a positive outpour in the crowd. But in her speech, she mentioned that she was the first African-American valedictorian for Center Hill High School. She did it in a way to not say that it was different or negative, but the crowd went bananas. There was a standing ovation. Um, it was just absolutely wonderful. And it, but it showed more of what our school is as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our school is roughly, you know, 60-40 when it comes to ethnicity and color and, uh, you know, socioeconomics, everything down the line. And for us to be a Blue Ribbon school compared to schools that are typically in the top 10 who are majority one to the other or don't fit the social norms, whatever you want to 
call it, it, it just goes to show a testament to the kids, the parents, the community that we have over there in Olive Branch. And that's why I love working there. And that's why I send my kids there. Uh, that's why, you know, it's just a great place to be. You know, a lot of people forget that it's out there in the northeast corner of the county, but it's a special niche. And so when that graduation went on, it was fantastic. You know, and of course, her, with her last name and how they do Val South, she's the first one to come mm-hmm. up to get your diploma. And we kind of worked it out prior to the whole deal. And, you know, she's on the state championship dance team. And so she gave, she taught me a move or two and said, this is how I want to do this. And so believe it or not, I had a two-step move with some hand motions that led into a fist bump (laughs) and a hug. And needless to say, you failed. The big fella right here brought the house down. Okay. 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 Look, there was a, there was a resounding applause and some good laughter. She loved it. It was a great hug. You know, and of course, I took a little steam away from my boss, but hey, it's okay. You know, all he had to do was hand off diploma. But you know what? It just kind of, it felt good for the night, you know, that you can have that kind of relationship. A lot of people look at me and it's like, that's the administrator you get when you have a bad day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I deal with 90% discipline at the school, you know, I'm the guy like, oh God, here I got Mr. Sims, you know, <laughs> to have that kind of positive relationship with the kids. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. The other part of my week was, is that my son went to try out for the new DeSoto FC, you know, I well, and seeing all these FCs pop up because I only know a little bit about them because my brother has my oldest nephew, Jack, doing them up in St. Louis and they are taking off. Man, it's unreal. So the DeSoto FC is the combination of Galaxy and Express and another league over in South Haven. So there's kids everywhere. It was mm-hmm. a two-day tryout for his age group. Now, my son, he's played nothing but rec ball and Olive Branch and has loved it. You know, but the, I'll be honest with you, but, rec ball is, it is, it's what is rec ball. It's a parent who's donating his time and we appreciate that. Um, but this last season between COVID and weather and everything, my son got a day and a half of practice and was thrown into games and, you know, it was just tough to swallow. So like if he, I told him, I said, if you want to be passionate about playing a sport, let's put you in an opportunity where you're going to get some, you know, more touches on the ball, maybe some better coaching, somebody who's actually paid to coach. So is he going for defenseman or goalie? Because he is definitely a defender. I was like, he's a unit out and there on a soccer he, field. He is, uh, I tell him all the time, he's a big lumberjack, you know, in a field of <laughs> soccer players. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, he's he's almost five nine, and he's twelve. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, I mean and, absolute unit. And we're not talking a bean pole either. He's uh, he's a big cat, you know. Given I'm six four, yeah. His mama's five nine already, so he, he's got already the she was still growing. Like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so yeah, he's a big kid, but you know, he he loves playing. Uh, you know, so we're going to do uh, summer football and summer soccer. And uh, we got, got the good news of the day that he made the team. So that's so awesome. I guess they saw some promise in him. Uh, you know, but the funny thing is I was sitting there for two days. And guess who's sitting next to me during the entire time doing this tryouts? Brian Couch. Because, of course, his son's out there trying out for the team, too. And, you know, we talk, we talk shop and, you know, and it's one thing to talk to a guy who you're friends with, you know, you talk to your sponsor, he's one of our advertisers, I get that, but, you know, he's just a down to earth fellow and, you know, we got to talk soccer, we got to talk politics, we got to talk, you know, football, you name it, he's just a great guy to be around and talk to, you know, but one of the things he did tell me about was, is that, you know, he's showing houses right now and how absolutely insane it still is. You know, I thought well, maybe it would calm down a little bit. Well, because the funny thing is, at the Alderman meeting, we'll get into it a little bit more, there was only 246 single-family units sold last year. So, I mean, I know the market is tight. It is super tight. And as always, we tell you guys, if you are trying to buy or sell in our area, Brian is just absolutely the best. I mean, the guy has been voted the top realtor team. He's been voted nationally one of the best in the, in the country. You know, I, I could throw numbers at you all day, but the reality of it is, is there's nobody who has mo- more notoriety in DeSoto County when it comes to real estate than Brian Couch and Team Couch. And considering how the market is, 
with multiple offers and people being so creative with how they do offers and how they're trying to go about things. And there's so many bumps in the road, potholes and even <laughs> traps. If you really want to look at it when it comes to real estate right now, because people are trying to really bend you over the barrel mm -hmm. because it's so hot of a market. I wouldn't take chances with just anybody. I wouldn't take chances trying to sell stuff on your own. I wouldn't take chances trying to buy stuff on your own. Uh, there's just too many, there's just too many landmines out there, but I'm just bottom line. And it's so I can't tell y'all enough that Brian and his team are one of the most professional teams there are. Uh, they take care of business. They're a full service realty and there's just really nobody else to look at. Well, and one of the awesome things you get is you get somebody who's involved in the community and knows a lot of people looking to buy and sell. So you already know you're getting somebody that is involved in the market. Oh, and there's no doubt. And here's the other thing. He also talked about how there have been multiple couples or even single sellers, whatever you want to call it, who have taken upon their free market analysis, mm -hmm. which that's something awesome too. Team Couch is offering a free market analysis, hence the word free, where they come out and they evaluate your home and they tell you your comps, your pros of your home, the negatives, things you maybe you need to work on, your value based on their opinion, what they could think they could get for it. All these great things of information in such a hot market. And I believe that he's been able to help people and convince them that this is the right time or this is not the right time. He's going to do what's best for you, not what's best for his pocketbook. So like I say all the time, people, y'all need to call them if you're even somewhat interested in, in doing anything when it comes to buying and selling. And you can always reach them at their phone number. 662-449-1700 or visit them at teamcouch.com. Now we're going to go into our motivational message. So as always, enjoy. Say, birds of a feather flock together. You run around with losers, you will end up a loser. Unconsciously, unconsciously, you will pick up their ways, you'll pick up their habits, you'll pick up, most importantly, their attitude about life. If you're around cynical, negative people all the time, you will become cynical and negative. So you've got to watch yourself. Many of us are living out the lives of other people living out their conclusions, living out of their consciousness. The other thing is that you begin to look at, looking at your life and looking at what it is that you want to achieve, another crucial thing that you must do is align yourself with powerful people. Align yourself with people that can encourage you, people that can empower you, people that you can learn from, people that you can grow from. That's very important. See, if you have people around you that can contribute to your growth, when I wanted to become a speaker, I joined the National Speakers Association. I wanted to be around the Dr. Norman Vincent Fields, the Zig Ziglar's, the Dwayne Dyer's. I wanted to be around people that were doing what I wanted to do. I wanted to learn from them. And you want to do that too. You want to align yourself with people who think like you, people who dream like you, people who want more out of life, people that are stretching and searching and seeking some higher ground in life. As opposed to the majority of people, somebody said, always strive to get on top in life because it's the bottom that's overcrowded. And see, you don't want to be on the bottom. See, it's easy to be on the bottom. It doesn't take any effort to be a loser. It doesn't take any motivation, any drive in order to stay down there on a low level. But it calls on everything in you, ladies and gentlemen. You have to harness your will to say, I'm going to challenge myself. Sometimes I have to pull myself out of bed and say, come on, Les. Things I know I should do, I don't do. Things I shouldn't do, I do. I found that the biggest enemy you have to deal with is yourself. There's an old African proverb that says, if there's no enemy within, the enemy outside can do us no harm. 
Guys, a few minutes ago, we talked about graduation. And as always, we told them, like we tell you, there's a lot of great jobs out there if you're not ready to go directly into college or if you want to go ahead and get into the workforce. And one of our best advertisers and friends is Michael Hatcher and Associates. They have several positions available open right now. They're looking for account managers, uh, construction foremans, a mechanic, several crew members, and even irrigation techs. Several other positions are paying anywhere between $14 and $15 an hour starting out pay. And if you have experience in any of these, it's even higher pay. This includes benefits, insurance, as well as stock options after you've worked for a short period of time. And this is a company that gives back to our community each and every year. I can tell you personally, in the last couple months, they have coming out to Center Hill High School. They have donated materials, labor, signs, and everything to promote our agricultural program with our amazing teacher, Miss Pilcher. We have a complete garden. We have animals they're being taken care of. And Michael Hatcher and them have, have personally donated their time, money and effort to make sure this is a growing program at our school and it is now being recognized countywide. We cannot thank them enough. This is the kind of place you want to work for that gives back to the community. Please go check them out at hatcherlandscape.com or you can talk to Gabby, who is their talent acquisition manager at this number. 662-755-3207. We want to change it up a little bit with how we do our alderman meetings because they don't necessarily feel like announcements. No, they don't, Cash, and I appreciate you mentioning that. The alderman meetings happen on the first and third Tuesday of every month, and they are especially important for anyone who's a City of Olive Branch resident. Now, these meetings are not televised, they are not streamed, they are not recorded, and so unless you go in person, you're really not going to know what's going to happen unless you want to read the notes following on the website. Cash goes every single time we have a meeting and takes fantastic notes, and this week had a lot of great information. Cash, why don't you read some of the great notes that you have from this last Tuesday? Absolutely. Now, one of the good things about Alderman Meetings is they start off recognizing somebody or an organization. This week, it was Rebecca Treadwell of ARC Northwest, and this is a nonprofit organization benefiting people with intellectual and development disabilities, and they wanted to get an update on everything that they did during COVID because the City of Olive Branch donates a good amount of money to them each and every year. And COVID did not stop them. They created a job readiness program that has over 50 hirees involved already. They added a new social club and exercise clinic during COVID, where after moving everything online, they are trying to start a committee for those adults with disabilities to be able to have housing on their own. And I can't thank ARC Northwest enough for doing something like this. Man, that sounds awesome, man. That's it just really is. really good to hear that it actually blossomed during such a tough year. I, you wouldn't fathom that these people with these kinds of disabilities would have been able to adapt so well when people like us weren't even able to adapt this well during it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Really, really appreciate uh, all that they do. Yes, thank you so much, ARC Northwest, and especially Rebecca Treadway. Now we're going to go on to what was the first th big thing on the agenda. And this had, believe it or not, more people come to this alderman meeting than I've seen at any single one combined. Wow. So this involved a lot of people that lived off of Davidson Road, south of Vera Lane, and north of Tranquil Drive. So this is taking place in between Country View and Country Place neighborhood, where there is 38.6 acres that is currently labeled as AR zoning, also known as agriculture and residential. And they want to rezone it to R2 single family residential. This vote would take a supermajority, five out of seven, instead of the normal four out of seven. The reason the zoning is so important on this is because as soon as you zone something R2, it can't be rezoned. It's that forever, which was a little weird to me that this is the only one that gets stuck like that, but it was something new that I learned. So they wanted to make sure that they would approve 
the neighborhood being built in there before they rezone it to R2 because then they wouldn't be able to change it. So this was kind of a combo agenda that they had on their books. So this area has historically been labeled for subdivision development, and they want to put 89 buildable single-family plots with no connection to Country Place or the Country View subdivisions, and they, wanted, and they want to widen Davidson Road by 50 feet and build a buffer and dense separating walls so that they know they're not a part of those subdivisions. Makes sense. And that is all due to because these houses are going to be significantly smaller than those neighborhoods as you're putting 89 on 40 plots. Doesn't sound as good. No, it does not sound nearly as good. And a lot of those residents are understandably upset because their houses are more in the four to $600,000 range. And these are going to be down in the two hundred to $250,000 range. That cannot help property value. No. And that is one of the main arguing points that those residents came into to fight. But the reason why they want to build this neighborhood so badly is because Olive Branch just hasn't had many people and families moving into the area. We are down 20% from our five-year average of 309. That means, as we said earlier in the show, only 246 families moved in last year. But that didn't stop the aldermen from arguing and making sure that the residents that already live here are having their house value stay high and taking care of the citizens that are already here. And so the thing that ended up being the main argument of debate was these houses that were going to be on the border that were only going to be at 20,000 square feet, which was up from their initial 12,000 square feet sitting on the border up against that 50 foot buffer wall. And the people in Country Place and Country View want those at 30,000 feet minimum with a minimum of 2,400 built house square footage. I mean, it's understandable. It kind of makes up the gap. They're not quite those four hundred dollars to $600,000 houses, but they get closer and then you don't lose value when you're looking over that buffer wall and seeing, oh, I'm not living next to just... Yeah. You're not living next to a favela. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it makes a whole lot of sense and they said they wouldn't be able to do it because the developers would lose too much money. And then that is where I found one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard this dude come up with off the top of his head. He said, you always hear a contractor say that they didn't make much money or that they even lost money. But when a new plot comes up, who is the first person to put in a bid? That same contractor. Good point. Got a point. I mean, I, I was flabbergasted at how smoothly that rolled off the tongue and it felt like a movie moment. And so there was a lot of arguing that happened with this and Collins, who was spearheading a lot of the questions and making sure that it was going to be in the right decision to make this R2, decided that he would put up something that I haven't heard at any alderman meeting, which was a no. And so as soon as it's no ballot, everyone has to say yes. And sometimes you get a little confused because it feels weird to say yes meaning no. Yeah, I can see that. And so they had to explain that. And then Mayor Scott Phillips made sure that we did it single person. He'd call them out and then they would vote yes or no. And then the person would record it automatically so that there was zero confusion. No doubt. Yeah. It was shot down unanimously. Everyone voted no to make sure that this wasn't happening. And the developer said, well, you're going to have to live with either me or somebody else. And another person says, no, we don't. Because as we showed you here, we don't have to let anyone build on this land if we don't agree with it. Wow. Bold and statements out there. It is. And it's fantastic to see citizens know their rights and be able to argue this because they've been fighting this for over a year. Well, it's good to see that the aldermen listened, absorbed the information and made a decision that seemed to support the current citizens. Yeah. I can't thank them enough for listening to us and agreeing with us. But because as I said, they have to look at the growth of Olive Branch. And even though this was a fantastic opportunity, it wasn't the right opportunity. There you go. 
The next one on the agenda was to decrease a lot size from 20,000 square feet to 17,000 square feet and to increase the lots from 8 to 10. And this is on five acres on the west side of Pleasant Hill Road, south of Chenault Lane and the north of Pleasant Hill Drive. This is a little bit different from the last one because you're only talking about 3,000 square feet total. And it just made it look a little bit more even with 10 and look, the 8. 3,000 square feet when it comes to land is pinochle. So I can imagine this made very little to no difference. It didn't affect the house size. or anything. Yes. It was just a little bit of lot size and, like you said, peanuts. Obviously, they saw it for what we see it for. It was approved unanimously under the conditions that the frontage improvements to Pleasant Hill Road, a right-of-way dedication, widening, curb, gutter, sidewalk were all improved into it, and they set a house minimum at 2,400 square feet. There you go. Sounds like a nice little neighborhood. Yes, sir. Next, we're going to move on to a rezoning of 0.738 acres from Zone Resonation R1 Single Family Residential to Office District. And this is a property located at the northwest corner of Goodman Road, East and West Branch Road. The rezoning does conform with the future land use map. This is a property within the Old Town Mixed Use Activity Center and potential use of property for offices aligned with the development character of Old Town. It's just a lot of things that we have set in the area regardless that has Look, to get passed. Everything you just said sounds nauseating. <laughs> you know, I mean, in layman's term, it, it basically they want to rezone it to something that could be rezoned to it because it was part of a long-term plan. Yes. There is. it is. And this is over by the railroad tracks and it's little bit hard to turn into because you've got that little wonky turn and it's right next to henry chiropractor it's oh, i know right, exactly what you're talking about yeah right there in that area and this was also another one that came up with some contention because i didn't even realize that somebody lives right there in that little corner lot and so he I'm came he came to fight it just because of traffic area and he has an autistic son that he's worried about and he said if it does have to pass can we at least ensure that a fence or something prevent some of the sound barriers that are going to happen with this. And George Collins made sure that was something that comes into place. And anytime you're building with office and there is a house connected to you, there has to be some kind of barrier put up. So that has already been in our rules if that ever happens to you. Oh, that's nice to know. That's good. That's good. To, good for anybody who has a future development idea. So that's awesome. Yeah. And with that being said, it was approved unanimously. Well, there you go. The next thing on the agenda was to approve the preliminary development plan to subdivide 36.72 acres into commercial lots through four phases. The property is currently zoned as C4, which is planned commercial and is located at the northwest quadrant of I-78 Bethel Road, the interchange south of Highway 178. Two, permitted use similar to C2. One difference is many warehouses and RV parks are permitted outright as opposed to conditional use. Adult entertainment, bars, and taverns are not permitted and they must install a 25 foot wide landscape buffer with compositor fence along with western side of the project the planning commission met with them on april the 13th and recommended approval so the alderman approved it unanimously there was a question brought up by scott phillips the mayor about the rv park but they said that that's not really an issue and they will still have to inform us if something like that is to pop up on this land. You know, RV parks are becoming more and more popular and they're actually making them where they're not kind of an eyesore anymore. It's become kind of a popular thing. Uh, believe it or not, there's a lot of residents of DeSoto County that have moved into their, this area with using an RV for work or different things that they're doing and stay here long term. And so some RV parks have really come to be really nice. They're not just cheap places where you think crime is inevitable or are going to be an eyesore. So 
don't always judge a book by its cover. You know, it could be a good thing for Olive Branch. It really could, especially with some of the work that does pop up and something that RV parks allow you to have that I think we could benefit a lot from festivals. This is true. True. And it's always good. It builds up when it comes to people saying tourism and what they see small town. And it could lead to somebody saying, Hey, this is where I want to retire because we have such a great place. So absolutely. There could, and, be, there could be some positive benefits here. And we have one of the best RV places right there off of I-55. I just know because I've been to a lot of remotes there. And have you ever walked into a million to $2 million RV? Holy yeah. cow. Like you are terrified of being in there, but those <laughs> things are so freaking nice. Man, that's just uh, that's a that's for a different bird than me, man. Oh yeah, but I mean, when you're at a remote for two hours and you're trying to help them sell RVs, you just got to do something. I heard you there. I hear you there. So we're going to move on to the next thing, which was requesting to make a four-acre plat into one plot, and this is going to happen over several years. But the developer must construct a 70-foot sidewalk to allow travel easements on the public, and the property is currently zoned as C2. It is on the west side of Hacks Cross Road, just north of Highway 178. It was passed unanimously. And here was something interesting that I don't know if you would know anything about because it's the Olive Branch High School, but they have a road that they want to grant to the city of Olive Branch, and they do not have to actually accept this gift. And it's weird to call a road a gift, in my opinion. But the school remain in charge of erosion and other maintenance. The city already takes care of potholes and other road conditions. The city will become responsible for all enforcement. The road is currently rated a 3, and this is on a scale of 1 to 5. Sidewalks are looking to be added, and speed limits and striping will be looked at if the city takes it over. The board wanted to table this. So they could look at their exposure and see what monetary investment they will have to make. This is tabled indefinitely until they can get a little bit more information on it and see if it's more of a headache or burden for the city to take on, which I can only assume it will be if the school is granting it to you. Well, you can say that, but there are some things that get granted to cities. A good example is, is that Kirkendall Park in Hernando was a school property. And when Milton Kirkendall was here as superintendent, he donated it to or granted it to the city of Hernando and Chip Johnson, who was the mayor at the time, accepted it. And then they put it under city control, added uh, improvements to it, put a new playground part in the back of it, which is more of like a fitness playground. Yeah, kind of adult it, it gets more used by adults. But I only say that because I go down there and play Ultimate Frisbee a lot because it's the only place in DeSoto County we can get lights. Correct. And so that is now under city control, but that was actually granted from the school. So okay. not always a bad thing. It could be a good situation, especially if it's a situation where Olive Branch PD already have to handle that area. Um, why not go ahead and have city control over it? It removes the, any confusion. Uh, so that's, that's a good thing. I don't know if just adding a little road is, makes that much of a difference, but you know, Hey, not all is bad. I don't know. Now we talk about Kirkendall park, also known as a concrete slab circled by a track, but Hey, I do enjoy it. So thank you to the city of Fernando for <laughs> hey, allowing man, me to use it. I played middle school football on that. No, that explains a lot. That, <laughs> that, that explains so much. That's right. My first football experience ever was in middle school at Hernando Junior High when that was actually the county office was actually Hernando Junior High before it burned. And I went to that school right before it burned. And that's where I played my seventh and eighth grade football under coach Vinny Flynn. So you left and something burned down. Are we just calling that a coincidence or I'm just going to say that they wanted to go out with a bang. After I left. <laughs> so call that. All righty. And then just one last question. Was it actually grass back then or was it still concrete? It was a mixture okay. of different materials, not concrete. <laughs> Maybe it felt like concrete. Oh, it you feels on it. very much like concrete. Yeah, it, it was pretty rough. But, you know, that's old school Hernando. No, and I mean, absolutely. If you're a football player, you got to be tough anyway. <laughs> that explains why I didn't make it. <laughs> 
The last thing that they talked about was moving the natural gas fund and switching it to a natural gas debt fund. It was approved and that is currently sitting at $350,253.25. And they also wanted to switch the water sewage fund into the water sewage debt fund, which was approved unanimously. And that is currently sitting at $212,268.75. Well, there you go. Now we can move on to our announcements. Absolutely, guys. First, we want to say congratulations to all the DeSoto County graduates this week. We had several graduate on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, and we have two more graduations on Monday and Tuesday. Olive Branch High School was first Saturday morning at the Lander Center. Center Hill did theirs last night at 7 o'clock, and Lewisburg will round it all out and be the best for last, I'm sure as they say to themselves, <laughs> on Tuesday night. And we want to wish all those graduates uh, a fantastic evening, especially if you've already had it, as well as Lewisburg. We hope your graduation goes flawlessly. And thank you so much to all of the faculty, staff, and parents that helped make last year possible. Absolutely. Now, if you're looking for a little bit of entertainment in the city, we are still having the concert series this Thursday in June. It is the last one that we know about, but it will be put on by the First Baptist Church Praise Band. That's pretty awesome. The next announcement is a reminder, OB Festival is coming to Olive Branch, and that is on June 12th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., and this will be housed at the Olive Branch Park. There will be vendors, food trucks, pet adoptions, church tents, and the one and only Bob Marr Classic Car Show. This event is free, and the first 60 vendors that sign up will also get free spaces to sell their items. There is no entry fee for the car show, but donations are extremely appreciated as they will all go to the DeSoto County Dream Center to help an amazing cause. Guys, before we go into our next announcement, I want to remind you that in Olive Branch, not everybody has a nice home and that there are situations in life that happened and you might bequeath a house or your house is in bad shape, disarray, and maybe you just don't have the funds you want to fool with and you maybe need to try to sell it or get it off your hands. Or there might be a situation where you're in this area and you're looking for a place to rent or looking for a nice home to just live into for short periods of time, whatever it may be, there is a company you need to talk to, and that is Rodman Properties. Rodman Properties is a local company that's been here for several years, and they do a lot of great things when it comes to housing. Currently, they buy houses that maybe need some help, disarray, or like I said before, where a house that you got in a will or loss of a loved one, and they buy it for cash quick and easy because you just don't want to fool with this hot market and the things that are going on when it comes to buying and selling. Everybody has a unique situation. They give you the best and top dollar for your property. And a lot of times when they buy that property, they turn it over and turn it into possibly a rental or a resell it, but they always update it, modernize it, and make it better for the community it lives in. This is not your typical out-of-the-box investor, out-of-state, something of that nature. These are people who truly want to beautify our community and do a fantastic job. If you are a person looking for a rental property, I can tell you this. Right now, they currently have a house for rent in the Devon Park area. This is just north of Alexander Road off of Goodman Road. It is a three-bedroom, two-bath house. It has about 1,600 square feet. It's been updated, fresh paint, new flooring. And they are looking for people to apply now. So if this is something you're interested in, and this is a great area, believe it or not, that is Center Hill School District, which we are the number five school <laughs> in the entire state of Mississippi. So this is not a bad place, if you, especially if you have kids. I think you need to go check out their website, ibuydesoto.com. All the ways to contact them, all their application process, their pros and cons of everything in their business is all on this website. I encourage you to go check it out right now. You will not regret it. 
Now, guys, when you get done checking out that website, and if you have a house that maybe needs a little cleaning or a little specialized cleaning, there is no one better than DeSoto Cleaning. Right now, if you go to Facebook, you can see several videos on their webpage that shows amazing cleaning. They do all these special things for the floor, the steam cleaning. It's unreal to see the before and after pictures. Brian Rowe is a fantastic contractor who does fantastic work. I have paid for him personally to come clean my couch and some floors in my home, not once, not twice, but several times. And so when he reached out to us and said he wanted to be an advertiser on our show, I can tell you from personal experience, this is an awesome company to get services from. Not only that, they will save you so much backbreaking labor. It's just ridiculous. The price to go rent a machine or get special chemicals or do things and maybe not realize what you're doing and ruin a piece of furniture or ruin your carpet or things of that nature, go ahead and hire the pro. Go ahead and hire a company that gives back to our community who helps our podcast that does so much. His kids are local. His business is local. He takes care of people. And get this. If you mention OB Pod, you're going to get 15% off your bill. Or if you're a first responder or someone who's active in the military or even retired military, Brian's even going to give you 20% off your bill. You can't beat this. Go to Facebook now and check out DeSoto Cleaning, or you can call him at this number. We're 662-710-2698. In our last announcement, guys, I want to let you know that the DeSoto County Board of Supervisors has approved several applications for tax incentives for Milwaukee Electric Tool Corporation, Ozark Automotive Distributors, as well as Amazon. This means these three companies will be coming to the, our area and could lead to a lot of great jobs. We'll keep an eye on this and give you more more updates as we come through. Now it's time for the Facts of the Week, which is brought to you by Rob Long of the Soda County Museum, which is located in Hernando off Commerce Street across from Area 51 Ice Cream Shop. Did you know that Brussels Bonsai, which is located on Center Hill Road in the northeast corner of DeSoto County, is the largest dedicated nursery of bonsai trees in the United States. If you are interested in going and seeing or possibly even buying one, please go visit them because I believe they have tours and a lot of great things to see at their amazing nursery. That wraps up our announcements, and we have a terrific show lined up for you. We have a true crime episode along with Coach Newton Mueller and Mustang Coach Alan Peacock, as well as a movie review, so stay tuned. Do you think you're paying too much for insurance, or you're tired of not actually getting an agent when you call? I think it might be time to switch to the home team at Farm Bureau Insurance. Josh McIntyre is our local agent and supports our schools, our local businesses, community, and even takes care of all our insurance needs. That's home, life, and auto. Give him a call today, 662-893-5250, or visit him at his office at 6901 Cockrum Road, which is Highway 305. You know, there's some real scumbags in the world, and Jan Michael Brauner has got to be on top of the list when it comes to the state of Mississippi or residents of DeSoto County. Back on April 25th in 2001, he left his home in South Haven area to head to Sarah, Mississippi, where he executed his ex-wife, his ex-wife's mother, his ex-wife's father, and his own three-year-old daughter. As we go into the details of this story, I do advise that this may not be the story for everyone to hear considering it does have violence towards a child, so listener discretion is advised. Jan Michael Browner was upset and agitated at his ex-wife, Barbara, because she has claimed that she was going to remove his custody or prevent him from seeing her daughter, Paige. Browner drove an hour south to the Kraft family home in Sarah, Mississippi, knocked on the door and realized no one was home. He put on rubber gloves and even went through a back door. 
Once inside, he stole a 22 caliber rifle and put it in his vehicle. Brauner then drove up to Carl Kraft's business and asked permission if he could go inside of his home and wait for his ex-wife, Paige, and his mother-in-law, Jane. When the three of them showed up at the Kraft home, it did not take long for Bronner to get into a verbal altercation with his ex-wife. He became extremely agitated, pulled out the rifle, and shot Jane Kraft at point-blank range. And then he turned the gun on his ex-wife, Barbara, and started shooting her. When Barbara fell, Bronner walked back over to his ex-wife's mother and shot her again. In a later statement in court, he said, I needed to put her out of her misery. Then Bronner walked back over to his ex-wife and shot her again as well. All of this happened in front of a three-year-old little Paige who had blood splatter all over her. She looked at her daddy Bronner and said, Daddy, you hurt me. He quickly explained that, No, I didn't, baby. Everything's going to be okay and escorted her into a bedroom in the back of the house and turned on the TV and gave her a cookie and a drink. Bronner went back to where the two ladies were laying that he had shot and contemplated his next move. Sadly, well, this is where the story takes a very dark turn. This scumbag decides that his three-year-old daughter is a witness to his crimes and must do something to silence it. He goes back into that bedroom and he shoots his daughter not once but twice. After a short while, Carl Kraft arrived home expecting to see his family and maybe them having a positive conversation. Instead, Bronner ambushed him and shot him, making him the fourth victim of this god-awful crime. To add insult to injury, Bronner decides to try to haphazardly clean the scene and he steals Mr. Kraft's wallet and takes Miss Jane Kraft's wedding ring as well. Upon arriving back in South Haven, Bronner takes the exact same ring and decides to propose to his girlfriend. Brad Lance, the lead investigator for Tate County Sheriff's Department, was the first on the scene. When he entered the front door, he was immediately struck by three bodies laying on the floor in the living room. He did a quick sweep of the house and came back outside. Upon further investigation and hearing from co-workers, they believed that there should have been a child. He went back inside and found little Paige in the back bedroom. In 2012, investigator Lance told a local reporter the single most troubling thing was that he had shot his own daughter in the face twice. Bronner was the immediate and only suspect in the investigation and South Haven police were made aware of his location in South Haven. Officer Cliff Freeman dressed up as a pest control man to get through the front door of a sting at his local apartment. They told Bronner that a FedEx package had been left for him outside the front door and when he went outside, SWAT team was in waiting. Bronner was arrested without incident and taken in for questioning. After a short period of time, Bronner confessed to all of his crimes and murders. Bronner stated that he was not on drugs or alcohol when he killed, but it had truly just snapped under the stress and potential restraining order that he was getting from his ex-wife. The idea of not seeing his daughter and the family raising her without him was just too much. A jury quickly found him guilty at trial, and Judge Andrew Baker sentenced him to death four times for each of his murders. Like most death sentence inmates, you are afforded several appeals, and Jan Michael Bronner earned himself another level of distinction with one of his appeals. State Supreme Court Justice Anna Lamar had to abstain from her vote in his case since she was the district attorney at the time of the murder. This set Bronner up for a potential 4-4 to four vote, in which is exactly what happened. He had a true tie vote. Under the state constitution, a tie vote does not absolve the ruling, and his execution was allowed to stand. The trial and all the verdicts thereafter made state news. Bronner became somewhat of a dark celebrity, even so much so at Parchment Prison. 
During his time of trials, several inmates from Parchman Prison sent letters to Bronner, letting him know what was awaiting for him when he arrived. Sadly, those letters never came to fruition, as anyone on death row is required a mandatory solitary confinement. On June 12, 2012, Jan Michael Browner, 34 at the time, was pronounced dead at 6.18 p.m. Central Standard Time after receiving a chemical injection at the Mississippi State Penitentiary, Parchman. Before his death, Browner admitted to all of his killings and said he did not deserve to live after the shooting of his daughter Paige, his ex-wife Barbara, as well as her parents Carl and Jane Kraft. In his final statement, Browner said he wished to apologize to the victims' families, adding he could not change what he had done. Maybe this will bring a little peace, and that's when he laid his head back to be snapped into the gurney. When the drugs were administered, he appeared to take a deep breath, and his mouth opened wide, and that was the end of Jan Michael Browner. Only the brother of Browner's ex-wife witnessed the execution. No other relatives were present. Kathy Jaco Sigler, who was Jane Kraft's sister, issued a statement afterwards saying her family would never understand why the killings happened and referred to a Christian scripture. Man has a choice of good and evil. Michael chose evil while my family chose good. God's peace prevails over the evil because we know in our hearts that my sister and her family dwell in heaven and with the Lord. Is planning your summer getaway becoming too much of a hassle? Then reach out to Sue Ellen and Ann Christopher of Magical Destinations. Whether it's a trip to Disney World, Universal Studios, or a tropical getaway, these ladies can help you plan the trip of your dreams. They work to get the best rates with headache-free planning. Magical Destination is locally owned in Hernando, so give them a call today at 662-469-6304, or you can find them on Facebook or Instagram at Magical Destinations Unlimited. With summer here, are you looking to start renovating? Well, North Mississippi Dumpster is the local business you want to contact. All you have to do is head over to DeSotoDumpsters.com. You'll be able to find all of your pricing and sizing needs. They're open seven days a week and have fantastic prices. They carry 13 and 20 yard roll-off dumpsters that are in great conditions so you don't have an eyesore sitting in your yard or on your job site. They service DeSoto, Tate, Marshall, and Tunica counties. So visit them at DeSotoDumpsters.com or give them a call at 901-299-0916. Guys and gals, I got a special guest, a not really a guest, but really a friend, a co-worker or slash former co-worker. Uh, that is head basketball coach Newton Miller. Coach, how you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, man. Thanks for having me on. Coach, I got I to gotta ask, man, you know, what has your day been like? I can only imagine uh, it's been a whirlwind of events. And uh, I, first, let me say thanks for giving us a few minutes. I know you're on the road heading back from where you've been, but tell the listener what's been going on for your day. Yeah, it, it has been a, a crazy day for sure. Uh, I'm actually on the road, uh, returning from Ellisville. Uh, I'm just now getting into Tupelo, uh, getting back on 78, heading back toward what's always been home for me. But uh, what a day and a dream come true. I've worked many, many years trying to, to get to the level that I got to today. And Let me just give you an insight. Uh, you know, I woke up this morning in Ellisville. Uh, realizing my dream was fixing to come true, was able to get on campus and uh, had a 9.30 press conference, press conference, you can call it sold out, jam-packed, whatever you want to call the word. There wasn't a seat in the house. It was a little intimidating, I'll, I'll be honest with you. But uh, president made a few, few, few remarks. The athletic director started it off, and then the president, and then they turned the, uh, the podium over to me, and I was able to 
to fulfill a dream, and that's to to stand up and, and, and hear my name being called. Uh, in this case, I, I'm the 17th head basketball coach in Jones College history. To hear that, to go through the emotions, to fulfill what I would call uh, a lifelong dream was something I can't describe to you. I, I just looked over the room and I looked at the people in the room and a couple of times I thought I was just going to just freeze because it, it was so real to me and, and my family who got to come down and experience it. My wife, Jennifer, my son, Jake, my daughter, Hope, and uh, my in-laws were in town. My daughter's graduating on Saturday. So a lot of things that are going on. So it was a special time for us. When the press conference was over, the next step was to actually be introduced to, to the players, to the team. That's really where, you know, uh, the road uh, meets the rubber. That's that's where the new basketball coach comes in, and you got to start making tough decisions on day one. And I have a roster of players. Obviously, I've got a system that I like to run and style player that I've got to, to be able to have on my team to be successful. And so I had to meet with – with 15 young men today, and I had to, to be honest and, and tell players that I had studied and watched film on and had stats on if I wanted them to return to our program. And then I had to do the, uh, the business part of this job, which is a lot different from high school, but I also had to tell the ones, you know, that weren't going to be able to return and, and be able to play for me. I had to also break that news to them. So, I, I mean, I got my feet wet just right off the bat. I'm telling you, I came straight from the press conference, straight into to what I would call an exit meeting. It's what we, we would call them at Center Hill every year at the end of the season. You know, you, you have an exit meeting and you talk about players' performance, what they've got to work on, where we go from here. So that was difficult. Um, I so I was able to get finished with that and uh, tour the basketball facility. They were able to take me around the campus and uh, give me a tour of what will now be the home. And let me just tell you, that's a big campus. It's a lot bigger than I, I thought it was going to be uh, after that. And then, obviously, when that was over, I uh, met with the athletic director. We had a nice long meeting just about, again, some needs, upgrades for the facility, which I'm really excited about. They are dropping a lot of money into the basketball facility. They're going to flip the entrances. They're, they're putting a... A brand new Taco Bell, a Subway, I think, uh, a Starbucks. They're, they're going to make it more fan-friendly from the outside. Some new coaches' offices that are going in. Uh, we're going to upgrade the locker rooms. So a lot of things, uh, the vision of, of the administration, man, it's it's just a lot that, that excited me. Um, and then I finished my afternoon, just myself and the president just standing out uh, in the middle of the parking lot. Let me tell you, the president at Jones, he is a guy that is competitive. Dr. Smith wants to win. and He doesn't want to win just in basketball. He wants to win in life, and he wants our kids to be winners. So we just kind of had a moment uh, before we left, and he reassured me I was the right guy for the position. And I don't know if you guys know this, and I didn't know it. They had over 130 five applicants for this position, uh, which is almost unheard of. So it was a big time job. And he reassured me the reasons why he thought I was the right man for the job. And 
so we kind of shook hands and uh like anything else the honeymoon's always great uh it certainly went awfully quick today uh with the press conference but i'm excited to come back home and fulfill my my role as head basketball coach at center hill and and, and do what i'm supposed to do to finish out here uh with my players and and, and my administration and then i'm looking forward to getting back there and get my feet on the ground uh and immerse myself in that community because you wear a lot of hats there but one of the big things you got to do is you got to win over the community and so that's where i've got to get involved quickly uh, i'm appreciative of it and let, let me just say this and and I really should have said it in the very beginning. I got to give God all the glory in this. He gave me a platform 12 years ago when I came to Center Hill. And that platform was to build and mold young men. It wasn't to win basketball games. And every year, I have always prayed almost the same prayer over and over. If I can be a college coach, please let this happen. And every year, that door has always been closed. It's been closed because I should have been at Center Hill. There was a reason for that. And today, God, is uh, he's given me a bigger platform to move on and, and be able to give him more glory. And obviously, uh, I, I don't take that lightly. And, and I, I know this is his will. Uh, I've prayed about it diligently. And this is the right time for me to, to leave high school basketball and, and walk into the next chapter of my life as the coach at Jones College. Coach, uh, it's an epic adventure I know you have in front of you, and uh, I know there's a lot of people who are going to be sad to see you go, but they're just as happy to see you excel and earn this. When you say that you beat out over over 100 applicants, uh, that says a testament to you and your uh, your coaching and your character and your reputation. Uh, to me, that just uh, it just solidifies what I've already known about you. In my opinion, I think you're the best basketball coach I've ever seen in action not just because of wins and losses, but because of what, like you said, developing young men. Um, it would have been a dream come true, you know, if my son decided he wanted to play basketball and got to get under you. But I'm happy that he did get private lessons from you, you know, back in the day, even if he was a young tyke. Uh, but he can always look back and say, yep, Coach Mueller, uh, you know, gave me pointers and I was, you know, he was blessed to be a part of that. So I think when I speak for all the branch, Center Hill, and everybody in this area that uh, – we appreciate your 12 years, and we appreciate what you've done for the young men and women, the students, everything at the school. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's a, quite a big shoes to fill. I don't know if they'll ever be filled, but at least we know that you left an imprint that will be everlasting. And uh, we really, really appreciate that. From a personal standpoint, this was the toughest decision that I've, that I've had to make. And DeSoto County School System, you know, today I, I, I haven't had a chance to look at my phone much. But somebody that runs that, that, that Twitter uh, handle really sent me a, a nice message, and, and it couldn't be any more accurate. You know, it said, Coach Miller, you will always be one of our own, and we're proud to call you that. And, and I just want to say vice versa back. Uh, DeSoto County Schools is the best school system that I've, I've ever had the, the privilege and opportunity to work for. Top to bottom, uh, from the superintendent, all the way down to, to, to my head principal, Doug Payne, and, and my assistant principals, and, and Zach Sims, and, and Brenda Case. It, it is a true, true blessing. And people don't know this outside of Center Hill. You don't know how, how you are uh, afforded such a wonderful day-to-day -day opportunity to be able to come and teach and coach and, and be able to, to enjoy 
coming to work every day. Whoever gets my job uh, at Center Hill, first of all, they, they, they better win. Let me tell you that, first of all. They better get in there. They, they, seriously, I'm kidding. Um, the basketball, as a, as a head coach of any program or any principal would tell you, you want to leave things better than you found it. And I was the third coach in, in three years at, at Center Hill. And when I got the job, people said, you won't stay. You're not going to like it. And, uh, you know, I think 12 years later, people say, wow, he did like it. And, and I like it because Center Hill does things a certain way. And, and you just have to buy into it. And when you do, um, it, it really makes things satisfying. And so I'm leaving Center Hill basketball program a whole lot better than I, than I found it. And, and this team coming back, that was the other thing that's really, really been on my mind. I have eight seniors that are returning next year. These kids have waited their entire high school careers to become seniors. They only know one coach, and that's me. And you just don't know how that breaks my heart to have to walk off and leave kids who have entrusted every single day and bought in to everything that I've asked them to do. Um, but as I told them, you got to continue. You, you're still great players. They're going to find a great coach. There's no doubt in my mind. They're going to have an opportunity this year to not only just win locally in Soto County, but they have an opportunity to, to get out and, and get back to a state tournament. So I'm blessed to be in this school system. I'm blessed to be the coach at Center Hill. And uh, more importantly, I'm blessed with my coworkers and, and the relationships that I've made. And I just can't say thank you all enough for for giving me that opportunity and, and continue to follow us. Uh, that's for sure. DeSoto County will always be my home. I might be leaving, but uh, I'll, I'll be coming back to recruit and, and I'll still have a home in the area and my kids and, and family. So I'll be back in DeSoto County a lot and uh, I can't wait to come cheer on the Mustangs just in a little bit different role than, than I normally have had. Coach, I can't thank you enough for all the kind words and, everything that's uh, that's transpired and i think from ob pod the community and everything else we want to wish you luck in your next endeavor and we look forward to seeing the success and as always look forward to seeing you coming back and visiting and having a friendly handshake and getting to talk basketball hey that sounds great hey don't forget me next year too i want to be on the podcast so i can talk a little bit about jones college basketball because you got to get that name out there and uh you know you know what i'm all about I want to win them championships. I want to develop young men. And uh, that national title is, is the next thing that's in front of me. And I'm excited about it and look forward to getting back and uh, being with you guys for the next few days. And thank you for having me on. Coach, as always, Coach. really appreciate you. And we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. All right, man. Bye-bye. Are you tired of an unimpressive lawn or need some help from a local professional to get your yard the way you want it? Look no further than Master Lawn for your weed control and fertilizing needs. Master Lawn has been serving the Olive Branch community and surrounding areas for over 25 years and is ready to add you to their long list of satisfied customers. Contact them today for a free quote through their website, www.masterlawninc.com or call 901-250-0873.
All right, guys, so now we get to our sports section, and today we're going to have a special interview with Coach Alan Peacock, who is the head football coach at Center Hill High School, co-worker, great guy, and they had a fantastic night versus Holly Springs. In our interview, we kind of go over some great details of the program, how the game went, some special players that played, and I think you're really going to enjoy it, so we're going to go to the interview now. Got a special guest and co-worker, head coach Alan Peacock with me today. Coach, how are we doing? I'll do good, man. I'm going to tell you congratulations for an awesome Friday night. I heard you went down to Holly Springs and had a big game. Yeah, yeah, we went down there, you know, played two quarters of JV, two quarters of varsity. You know, obviously they're a little bit smaller than us and struggling a little bit, but, you know, we did what we were supposed to, and that was kind of take care of business and put it away early. And I think from the varsity standpoint, it was 30 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. We had scored on, on several big plays. We still got a long way to go, but it was a good Good confidence builder, get some live action, get to hit somebody that, that ain't your teammate. And, uh, you know, saw some good, saw some bad. Coach, I agree, man. Uh, the score was pretty astounding. And like you said, it was tough that the other team didn't seem like they are very prepared. Uh, you know, hate to hear that for those kids. But tell the listener the kind of some of the struggles going into this spring because I know you lost a lot of starters and uh, a lot of changes. Yeah, we lost, uh, we lost nine starters off of last year's offense, a team that uh, without – you know, getting shut down by COVID, I think, has a great chance to make the playoffs. Um, you know, we lost two district games without getting to play them. So we lost nine starters. You know, only had our right guard and our B-back uh, coming back. So really retooling. Had a couple of kids that played, you know, Friday night that didn't play last season. You know, they, they set out because of COVID, um, took the year off, stayed at home. You know, and a couple of those kids got you know, a good bit of reps. One of them played pretty much the whole varsity game, you know, so it was, it was his first football in over a year, you know, really like a year and a half. And so just still trying to build some depth different on offense at the varsity level than we are in, in junior high. And so some of those kids, this was their first taste of it. They didn't, they didn't get a ninth grade season or whatnot. So, um, uh, you know, just trying to find where the pieces fit and where, you know, who to get in the right spots and, and all those things. Coach, you know, somebody who might not know, you run a unique style of offense. And, you know, it's not anything new or innovative. It's actually a very old and uh, tried and true style. And so explain it to the novice person what that uh, style of offense is. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we model uh, after kind of the military academies, uh, Army, Navy, really. Those two mainly. Air Force also. We call it the Flex Bone. You'll see me on Twitter, Flex Bone Nation. That's kind of my hashtag. Under center, you know, where most people are in the gun, throwing it. We're under center, and we're we're reading people. So we run, you know, triple option stuff where we're going to read one, two uh, people to sit, depending on what they do is going to determine who gets the ball, whether we give it to the fullback or the quarterback keeps it or whether he pitches it out uh, to what we call our A-backs or our slots. Um, so it's, it's different. It's unique. It's very hard to prepare for, I feel like. You know, I think if you ask coaches in our district, coaches that have played against us, they they hate the week that they have to play us. No matter what the the talent disparity is between the two teams, they hate uh, getting ready for it. I agree, coach. When you when you defend against the flex bone or any type of triple option, asking high school players to understand responsibilities and stick to them is not the norm when it comes to our normal high school defense. So I completely agree with your assessment. Did Holly Springs struggle with that a lot? Was that a big reason why you had big plays, or were you just consider yourself there was an outmatching? Uh, I think it was a little bit of an outmatch. I think they they tried to play us in, in what I would call a bare front, you know, a nose and two threes and two wide kind of nine techniques. And so we were able to run, um, you know, outside veer and uh, belly 
and had some pretty good success. They had some good players. They just had a lot of kids playing both ways, and and a lot of their kids had to play some JV time too at a different position. And so we we were a little bit more fresher on the var when the varsity got started. Now on offense, uh, who is your starting quarterback, and how did he play as well as your skill teams? So our starting quarterback is, is a young man named Mark Holmes, and he played really well. You know, I don't think we threw but two passes in varsity, and one of them I know he, he pulled down and ran, and the other one I think he got sacked. We missed a, a linebacker or something. Uh, but, yeah, he had a good night. Uh, I know he had a long touchdown run on about the second play of the game, probably about 40 yards. You know, he's just a phenomenal kid, man. He's a great leader in our school, great leader at practice, the weight room. I mean, he just – he does what he's supposed to do, and, and you trust that he's going to be where he's supposed to be and doing things the right way. I agree, Coach. I also believe he's also a member of the state championship dance team as well. Is that correct? Yeah, he is. Uh, I got my starting quarterback and my starting running back are both state champion uh, on our dance team, and then our, our B-back was a state champion power lifter as well. That's, a, that's quite a diversity of a talent, Coach. I'll give you that. So as for the rest of your skill team, uh, how did the rest, how did their night go out? played well our receivers they don't get a lot of balls thrown to them so they really got to take pride in blocking and and being selfless and uh we had a kid uh tyler harrison that really did a great job i think he may have had a couple of pancakes which you don't see from receivers a whole lot and then our a backs uh you know uh, i know uh keon mccristian and uh both Kamian and knight and harrison brown all three had a couple of big runs at different times we we tell them all the time you know we want, we want you to be special without the ball in your hands. You know, we want we want you to do great things without the ball, not just when you have the ball. So uh, I think that's what they have to understand is they gotta they got to block for each other and, and, and be selfless, and, and then their time's going to come to when they get the big plays. Absolute great philosophy, Coach. So let's move over to the defensive side. I know y'all did really, really well. I've spoke to a couple of defensive coaches before I got to talk to you, Coach, you know, because we were at graduation together, and they talked pretty highly of it. But what were your thoughts on the defense overall, and was there any kid that kind of stood out? Uh, yeah, I thought we played well. I think Aaron Covington had a really good game at D-line. Uh, he's also our backup quarterback. Hold on, you Coach. Know, hold on, Coach. Did you, yeah. you just said your backup quarterback was one of your better D-linemen. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. He's a, he's about six three. <laughs> he's about six three, two hundred forty pounds. He plays four technique. He's our backup quarterback, and he punts for us. So he's a that is a variety. A, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a good good kid though. Works hard. Um, fairly athletic. So uh, he again, he had a really good night. You know, also Jason Painter, outside linebacker, I think had a big night. You know, we had a couple of young kids. Mark starts on defense as well, but he didn't play very much last night. So we had. A young kid, a sophomore named Lance Henderson that played a good bit of defense. He's going to be really special, I think. And another another just really good kid. I think he's a straight-A kid. Uh, Mom works at our school. So, uh, you know, he's going to have a chance to be really special for us over the next couple of years. That's awesome, Coach. That's, that's really good to hear. So, Coach, you know, like you said, the final score, you can call it 30 to nothing. Uh, looks like Holly Springs, we can, we can both be honest with ourselves, uh, it looks like a program that's on the downturn. You know, I used to play them back in the day in the late 90s, and my brother played against them in the early uh, 2000s, and they were a 4A, and they were somebody to be dealt with in football and had kids going, signing with Michigan and uh, other big programs. And so to hear that they, you know, that's going like it was, that's tough to hear. Your program itself, I think there's a lot of stuff that I get to see on, or on a firsthand basis that makes it pretty special that you've been doing for a long 
long time and has really kind of built the program in a positive way. A lot of people don't understand that, you know, at Center Hill, we have huge high academic standards. Uh, we have a huge discipline uh, standard, you know, uh, if kids can't act right, don't do right, don't show respect that, you know, that translates to, you know, no PT or, or anything like that when it comes to athletics. And so they're on the field. That means a kid is exemplary. Now, why don't you talk about the program itself, some of the stuff that you have implemented in your long tenure here, considering you are the longest tenure head coach, basically in this entire county and, uh, you know, the stuff that's had success and uh, the parents and the people in the community would want to know about. I just finished my 10th year at Center Hill. My wife and I just kind of, you know, cold, moved up here, didn't know anybody, just came to be the head football coach. You know, we do some things. I know when I listen to Coach Russell's pod, he talked about mom's practice. Yeah, we, we, we do that. I think I actually got the idea from the same place, but we've been doing that for about nine years. We usually have about 60 moms come out. They attend a practice. Uh, we talk football with them beforehand, watch a little film with them, and they come out. I usually have my wife or daughter out, and uh, they take pictures with their sons. I've got mom's practices from, you know, kids six, seven years ago where I still got their picture from their, their sophomore, their freshman year. You know, some of them are, are pretty funny now that you go back and look at them. One thing we did this year, I was going to do it last year uh, during spring, and obviously uh, nobody had spring. We, uh, we did it fathers and film session so we had a, a Saturday spring scrimmage and we brought the dads in with their sons and had a couple of former players come back and speak uh, one a Olive Branch police police officer he came back and spoke about what he's been doing since high school and and about uh, you know what it took to become a police officer and you know we ta- asked him some questions about traffic stops and things like that I had a name that a lot of people know in Olive Branch Dantarius Ellington uh, played four years for me. He's uh, coach of running backs at Georgia State. He came back and spoke on recruiting and uh, some things like that, uh, just what Center Hill meant to him, you know. And, and then we broke the dads up, and they went with their sons, and we watched film for 20 or 30 minutes, and then their sons went and got dressed, and, and I spoke to the dads just a little more, and I uh, thought it was a really, really fun Saturday. I, I hope and think that the dads enjoyed it. And, you know, we just want to – we talk about brotherhood and we talk about family with our players and we want to try to, to model that as much as we can to our kids. And, you know, whether no matter what their home situation is, whether it's just a mom, just a dad, mom and dad, or, or some combination of that, you know, we want, we want to be a positive influence in their lives and, and help their parents grow them and mold them into young men that, that leave Center Hill High School and, and go on to be police officers and football coaches and electricians and you know military people and and whatever they choose to do and we just want to be great at it right if if you're going to be a an electrician just be a great electrician if you're going to be a teacher be a great one man if you're going to be you know a college football coach be a great one just whatever you choose is your profession just just go be great at it um and, and that's what we want you know i tell my parents and my players all the time you know we're not all good at english we're not all good at math we're not all good at football but just be the absolute best you can be at what it is you choose to do. Coach, um, uh, to me, that's a, that's a moving statement you had there. And I think that's something our parents greatly appreciate. I know a lot of times when I see seniors walk off the field for their last game or we go to graduation, there's a lot of heavy hugs, a lot of tears. And that's just an, ex- uh, that's just an example of how these kids have really latched on to what you're doing. And as you and your coaches have really kind of become that extra parental figure that you're talking about, um, I think it's, 
I think it's something special that we have at Center Hill, and I think a lot of places have it, don't get me wrong, but I think it's always unique because the relationship a coach can form with a player or players is unique to those two individuals. And so I know from our community, myself, and the people, the fans in the stands, we really appreciate what you do at Center Hill. Coach, you know, let's move into the summer. Um, let's talk about what kind of program the kids are going to be working on during this summer and uh, what to be looking forward on that part. Yeah, we start, uh, I think, June the 1st. We're going to go three days a week the month of June. We, we've we normally went four. You know, I think last summer, you know, kind of let everybody realize, hey, we can, you know, we can get by and, and maybe do a little less. And I'm big on, you know, let, let them be kids. You know, let them be kids. So we go, we're going to go three days a week. I talked to, I uh, used to be the head coach at Tupelo, Coach Hammond. He's in New Albany. I uh, talked to him about it. They've done it. And he was really high on it. So we're going to go Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And Tuesdays and Thursdays will we'll be big, heavy in the weight room. Wednesdays will be a much more football-oriented uh, day where we're going to re- really get after it and try to get better at what we do offensively and defensively. Uh, hope to do some 7-on-7 seven seven in June. Still, you know, I've talked to Coach Russell at Olive Branch a little bit, hoping to, to reach out and talk to Hector over at Lewisburg and kind of see what their plans are and, and hopefully do a little bit of 7-on-7, seven seven, mainly for our defense. You know, we don't throw the ball a lot, but – it's, it's good work for our defense and good work for us because um, we don't work it as much, you know, during the normal year. Uh, but we'll do that through the month of June. Uh, then July is kind of, you know, we'll go to four days a week. Uh, but uh, you got the 4th of July in there. Of course, it's on a Sunday, so it doesn't mess up a whole lot. But then we have our dead week in July. And then we end each summer. Um, we go to Holmes Community College. They're a flex bone team like us. They're, their head coach, Coach Gross. Uh, won a national championship, played for, I think, four. I think he played for one every year he played. Um, but I know one, one or two, and, and played for a couple more uh, at Georgia Southern back in the day. Um, we go down there, and they host a, a team camp, and, and we were able to go down there and work with their coaches and take our kids down there, get away, and, and basically spend three days doing nothing but football. So uh, we'll end our summer with that and then give them that uh, at least some time off that first week of August, and then I think official practice starts August the 9th. Awesome, awesome. So what is the first game for uh, for everybody to mark their calendar, Coach? Well, our, our, our jamboree, we're still looking for one, so uh, I'm trying to trying to find one. Um, uh, our first actual game is Clarksdale. we got to go down to the Delta, you know, on August the 27th. Uh, I really respect Coach Johnson and the job he's done at, at not just West Bolivar but Clarksdale. Uh, we have a pretty good relationship, and, and I enjoy going down there. They're they're usually really good, so it's, it should be a, a good a really good test for us early on, and, and kind of kind of get our kids ready to, to start you know the first season in six A and playing in a new district and a lot of not not really new teams teams we've either played or, or seen or know because they're all almost all of them are in our county with us, but you know get ready to kind of move up into six A and, and hopefully. Have a couple of non districts that, that that are definitely going to test us and prepare us for that early. Yeah, coach. I mean, you mentioned it. You know, Center Hill was a five A school for a long time, and this next year we will be six A, and our in city rivals of Lewisburg and Olive Branch will be normal district ball games, and so that ought to lead to uh, some pretty exciting games on Friday night, and uh, we really look forward to them. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's uh, yeah, obviously it's going to be a challenge. I think. My first season at Center Hill was their first season in 5A. And so we were 5A for 10, 10 seasons. Uh, so now I'm going into year 11. It'll be our first season in 6A. We, we won the district title the first season in 5A. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a challenge. 
a lot of good programs, a lot of good coaches, man. Obviously, South Panola is the only school that's that's not a county school that's in it, and you know, we all know of their history and their their program. Coach Woods, uh, we're kind of from the same area. I grew up watching him coach at Ackerman, and he does a does a phenomenal job uh, over there at South Panola, obviously. I know for a fact you went to the Olive Branch spring game as well as the Lewisburg spring game and scouted both teams. So if I had to give a guesstimation or your opinion of your future outcome when it comes to playing those two teams based on what you saw, what are you going to tell me? I mean, it, you know, it, ain't neither one of them going to be a cakewalk. You know, there aren't any gimmies in uh, in 6A uh, Region 1, I don't think. So, you know, both games are going to be emotional games. Uh, both, both teams are going to get up. They're going to be ready to play. For us, if we don't turn the ball over, I like our chances against anybody. You know, as long as we protect the football, you know, one of the reasons we do what we do is to, to keep their offense and 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 they're where, where some people put their best players at receivers and quarterback and things like that. We want those dudes on the sideline. You know, uh, I think if you uh, you go back to Lake Cormorant last year, they were more talented than us. I think from an overall standpoint, but I think in the first half they only ran about sixteen plays uh, because we controlled the ball so much, and that's what we want to do. We want to. We want to let those quarterbacks and receivers stand on the sideline and get nervous, and that OC maybe make some calls that he wouldn't make because because he ain't getting the ball that much. And you know that's 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 our goal. And like I said, we all, we look forward to it playing both of them. We 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 didn't get to play Lewisburg this year. We played them not every year I've been the coach, but most years, and, and we weren't able to make it work with. Tennessee and Mississippi kind of the weeks getting pushed around and pushed back and we just couldn't couldn't make it work so I'd be, be glad to get to play them again I think the first of October and then Olive Branch towards the end of October. Coach again thank you for all the time and explaining everything uh, it was great seeing the guys go out there and get a W versus Holly Springs great to hear about the program and really looking forward to the season. Yeah man I'm, I'm, I'm excited obviously uh, you know I, I don't not much of a podcast guy but when I do listen to them it's football stuff so I've listened to to both the Russell and both the Hectorn interviews, and obviously, you know, you want to have a good relationship with those guys. But on Friday nights, you want to you want to beat them if you can. And so, uh, I've enjoyed listening to listening to those bits, and, and glad y'all are doing what y'all are doing. The Hernando guys uh, talked about our game a little. Enjoyed listening to those talk. Just just ready to get hopefully get back to some normal full house Friday nights come August. Absolutely, Coach. And look, don't you forget, every Friday night we're going to do a post-game report with you and let you highlight what the kids did and talk about the ball game and try to help build the community around the program that you do so well at. All right, man. Sounds good. I appreciate it. All right, Coach. We'll talk to you again soon. Great job with that interview, Zach. And I am excited to continue watching Alan Peacock coach these Mustangs because I have a personal affection for the triple option. I ran that in college, and it is quite possibly the funnest offense an offensive lineman can run. There's nothing better than seeing the fear of a linebacker having somebody come to take out his knees, even though it's not technically legal in high school. No, it's not technically legal in high school. We can't do that. But well, you can stumble and fall. You know, I mean, we're big people. We don't have the greatest feet. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay, sure. But I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do with that program over the summer. Absolutely. I think it's going to be great. I think our kids are going to respond well. I look forward to next year playing 6A football. Guys, that's the end of sports, and so we're going to move right into our last section, which is a nice little bonus of movie review. And this week, we are watching Netflix special, which is also at the Olive Branch Malco, if you want to go see it. Came out a week early at the movie theater. It did. That is Zack Snyder's The Army of the Dead. I remember seeing this about two or three months ago, texting you and being ecstatic for it, because the trailer looked phenomenal. And if y'all don't know, I don't watch trailers. So they got me. 
They did get you. They did get you. Um, so, guys, I want to warn you before we get into details, we are going to talk about several plot points of the movie, details, which basically will give you the entire synopsis. So, if you have this not watched it. This is a spoiler. It, yeah, spoiler it's pretty spoilerly. So, if you want to watch the movie, this might be the time you want to cut us loose or skip past ahead, whatever it is. But we want to give you that warning up front. Cash, what would you give the movie overall? Like a 5.7? Woo! Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty close to you, actually. Uh, it I was think, entertaining? Yeah, it was entertaining. A lot of guts and glory. Uh, visual. Yep. <laughs> guts and glory. <laughs> Zack Snyder brought a lot of his film work to this movie with... I got some Watchmen vibes, I guess, is where I'm going with it. I got you. Yeah, his cinematography, his style are definitely unique, and they definitely brought this to this movie. But as for the movie itself, uh, I love some of the characters. Some of the characters didn't make sense to me. Uh, had several plot points that didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, if you, the synopsis is is that Vegas is overtaken after a what looks to be a government experiment gone wrong. Which seeing that government government experiment go wrong and seeing him come out, oh my goodness, did it get me hyped for this movie? The opening scene was pretty pretty dynamic, and then it led to Viva Las Vegas, where the one zombie or multiple zombies makes it in there, and basically it becomes a giant containment area where Vegas is lost yes. to the zombies. They put shipping containers all around it, and then you get to meet David Batista's character and sell several other characters who are basically the uh, new version of Schwarzenegger and Predator's crew of just trying to save people and get them out of this containment area that were trapped. Uh, you get to see some cool footage and film work when it comes to this. Great guts, glory, uh, things blowing up. It was a lot of fun with these parts. But once you actually get into the meat of the conversation of the plot and everything else, it starts to take a deep nosedive. But it fell hard fast, and there was just too much wrong with the plot. Now, you could say, just enjoy it as a movie. But when you're that long, the plot's going to matter because there just wasn't enough action to keep up with it. Yeah, we're talking a two-hour movie, uh, and most zombie movies don't need to be two hours. No. And there's a lot of development. The difference here is, in Zack Snyder's version, that there is a hierarchy of zombies, like a head, a queen... Prince. I really uh, enjoyed this aspect of it. Yeah, it was a quite a bit take. different. As well as they also threw in animals. We have a zombie tiger as well as a zombie horse. Now, I will say I absolutely did love that they decided to make some quick whips when it came to comments about the tiger, yeah. such as that's just out of line or <laughs> that's over the top. You know, so like it's making puns at the writers, but it was good humor for the movie. I appreciated it. What do we think about zombies being able to create life? Uh, to me, I thought that was a downer. Uh, yeah. The idea of zombies, they can't communicate, they can't things, but we're able to reproduce. Um, That's just a line too far for me. Uh, to me, it is way much of a bridge that you can't cross. Uh, it's just, it was out of line. And like I said, the zombie horse, it didn't have eyes. It was mostly a skull. Reality versus cinematography and visual effects and stuff like that. I still believe, even if you have a zombie, it's going to become weaker. It moves slower, no. all that stuff. So that's where it should go. The original Night of the Living Dead, you know, oh, <laughs> uh, uh, that, that is what a person scientifically yeah. would say if somebody was reanimated and all they could have was basic function of eating and and stuff i get that that you know that's closest to possible reality which is yeah. not but when you get these ones that can fly and jump and super strength then to me there is something going on in the body that you know allows that to happen so i'm all about the scientific side of it and so when you're telling me that this is a this is a person who's dead and then all of a sudden there's something that's reproducing inside of it that's alive. Don't see it. I nope. just don't. So bridge too far, but it is what it is. Several other things that bother me about it. Uh, the leader in the movies has a metal mask that is custom made that he's wearing to prevent headshots. They can't communicate 
they they don't have dress. They don't have this. The idea that they were able to have something like this, or somebody made it, or it makes no sense. No. If somebody, if there was like a Roman soldier coliseum or something, uh, you know, a museum a that had something that had like a figurine that had this helmet or antique armor that made and it sense, just fit or something fit like him, that, you know, something like that, then it's plausible. But still, I'm going to assume that a bullet in this day and age is just going to stretch straight through it. The idea that this is hardened steel that's on his forehead that he's going like that, trust me, I work with metal all the time. I forge knives. I have fun with it. And soft, mild steel, a bullet penetrates. Yeah. Okay? Um, especially from the rifles they're shooting. It would have gone through it like warm butter. <laughs> uh, that really kind of bothered me a little bit. There was a few scenes where a helicopter is taking a person from point A to point B, and the head zombie on her horse who was at the top of the building, had time to go to the bottom of the building, hop on a horse, and beat them to the building over a helicopter. I'm calling straight BS. Yeah. Little stuff like that. And they made some errors when it comes to character development. You meet a character, they ask the question, have you ever killed yeah. a zombie or anything like that? And then she's like, uh, no. And then what, 20 minutes later? She's, she's John Wick going through a whole horde of zombies. Exactly. And it's fantastic watching her go through this. Don't get us wrong. But it's just, you gave her the wrong setup for what she ended up becoming. No, don't tell me this character is, you know... Uh, basically the girlfriend to a guy who carries a pistol and that's basically what her character is to coming out to being John Rambo yeah. in, in a casino taking out <laughs> hundreds of uh, hundreds of zombies with, with her hands her mitts guns oh, knives the works just how quickly she was able to deduce like oh you're waking up knife right underneath the chin straight into the brain stem no don't don't tell me this and then it's this you yeah. know uh, of course we get the classic zombie tiger scene and of course the zombie tiger gets to take the, the henchman of the group you know there's always an alternate plan to everything and this guy gets what he deserves great job this reminded me of Leonardo DiCaprio's movie that he got his award for or The Revenant The Revenant where he got attacked by a bear some of the same kind of cinematography mm-hmm. and the person getting thrown around uh, really cool of course quite a bit different ending for the character yeah you know um, but i mean with him if all he had to do was get the head to create a new army they got it right there at the gate just take that and then the movie like, i mean ding 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 let over. us get the 50 million in everything's a-okay yeah um but so. the safe cracking scene was probably one of the funniest things to me when they're trying to get all the different pressure plates and you see the one guy go up and he's just like Coming back right down and with a zombie on a dolly. They're like, where are you getting all these zombies? <laughs> and, you know, you just got different things. Microwaves, a zombie hand. Yeah. It, that was one of the coolest things I didn't see. It's the heat, not the meat. It's just like, <laughs> oh, my God, that's what we're going with. <laughs> but just the, the creativity they had with it, that was a lot of fun. It was. And, oh, it's just, the, like you said, the, the commentary in that whole scene alone where, you know, okay, some blow darts come out. They're like, oh, yeah, that I makes was, sense. you know. And then the next scene is guns shooting a piece. And he's like, it can't be legal. Like that. And then one more step and it's the walls collapse. And you're yeah. like, um it's over like, the top. why isn't Tanaka go ahead and telling us that all of this is gonna lead into them getting into the safe? Which as soon as I see that first pressure play, I'm just like, Hold up, something's not right. Like they didn't want us to get this money. No, I mean there, there was so many clues this was never a real deal. Yeah. Uh, so it, 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 And then know. also a lot of people don't know this. $50 million weighs a lot. Yes. Like this exit strategy of nine people, $50 million in bags on a single helicopter, helicopter. that doesn't hold nine people, by the way. <laughs> you would have to stack them up like body bags in there. As there's and, smoke coming out, like it's a uh, 73. I'm just like, give me a break. I'm, I'm just, I mean, the. 
all nine of them should have realized with any kind of military experience that this little bit of Huey that he gives you an example of is what's on there. Yes. Like, yeah, that doesn't hold nine of us, homie. And there's nine of us standing here. Oh, but when she first sees that Huey, it's just like, what, did you spend all your money on the little display helicopter? Yeah, like, I mean, what, what's going on here? So, I mean, like, there's a lot of things that set it up for failure. Yeah. Immediately by how things were written and presented. And so... You know, I get the movie's made probably fast and loose. It's a zombie movie. Get over yourself with facts and realism and plot. But the reality is this movie could have actually been really, really good if you didn't just focus on the name Army of the Dead. Yeah. I mean, really, if you had changed the name and actually fixed these plot holes, developed a character or two, cut back on some of the stuff you didn't need in there, get rid of these gaping, glaring issues of horses outriding helicopters, super strong reproduction yeah. zombies, things of that nature. The movie really could have been a seven and eight, maybe even a nine with the way Snyder does things. Instead, it kind of folds at the end. You don't even find out one of the characters you're trying to save. You don't even see what happens to them. And so it just kind of folded right there at the end. And it's just unfortunate. Yeah. Wish we could have done a little bit better, but Hey, maybe we'll get another one. Absolutely. Guys, that's going to wrap up our movie review and our episode. As always, we really appreciate y'all listening to us. We hope that you're sharing our post and you're sharing how the podcast is listened to to your friends and family. Especially if you listen to the Alderman meeting. I know there's a lot of notes, a lot of information there. If there's somebody out there who would appreciate hearing that kind of information and wants to know what's going on local in our town at these Alderman meetings that are not posted or streamed or anything of that nature right now, currently, which might change, Please make sure you let them know and how to listen to us. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter at OBPod, and our, as well as our email, theobpodcast at gmail.com, where you can email us any of the questions you want your mayors to answer as we're going to be having them on next week. Yes, that's going to be a big deal, guys. Next week's episode is going to be huge. We're going to have only... Ken Adams and Don Hall is the main part of the episode, asking them the tough questions to let us know, as citizens of Olive Branch, which guy needs to be our next leader. I hope you tune in. I hope you send us some questions. And I hope you pass and share it along to everyone to understand who they're voting for. As well as, guys, make sure that you check out our brother podcast, Under the Water Tower, which is based out of Hernando, that covers a lot of the same information we do here. They are a great group of guys, have a lot of great information, and they are covering some great events as well well as Mississippi Music, the A-Fair, which happened the last couple weeks. They also just put out a fantastic episode about the state champion Hernando High School softball team. Yes, it was absolutely fantastic. It was, it was great to highlight those kids, and it's a special one to listen to because they have a lot of great information coming from it. But until next week, guys, I'm Zach. And I'm Cash. We'll see you all then. <laughs>